Good morning. This morning we are going to take a uh, like a broad sweeping look at something that all of us see or or witness on a daily basis. Um, it, it's it's so constant before our ears that it becomes the white noise of the world. At times we see it in politics um, constantly is the you know the cry from the left and and the, even the right. It, it it beckons people into causes. Uh, and even wars. It sounds a little bit like this. Here's a couple examples from the New York Times. This is uh, one of the headlines there. Demonstrators flood the National Mall on Friday morning in anticipation of a historic moment for for the anti-abortion movement. The first sitting president to address the annual March for Life in person. President Trump did not disappoint them. Unborn children have never had a stronger defender in the White House, he told the crowd of religious groups and anti-abortion activists who packed the mall to hear him speak. From U.S. News and Reuters, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court gave the go-ahead on Monday for for one of President Donald Trump's hardline immigration policies, allowing his administration to implement a rule denying legal permanent residency to certain immigrants deemed likely to require government assistance in the future. Like, okay, like those are are just a few social articles revealing some of the injustices that are happening all uh, around us abortion and 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 marriage and immigration and and healthcare and women's rights and veteran suicide and racism right the list can go on forever all are of them are social injustices that are actually happening right now the news and social media is littered with them. People have rallied together in groups to help prevent uh, or support whatever their cause is. Uh, we see social injustice every day, and we all have an opinion on them. The question, however, uh, is, is, is what should our response be as Christians? How would Jesus respond to these things? Do you have an answer that's rooted in biblical, biblical truth? And if not, you should. <laughs> Uh, because God is a God of justice, and He cares about these things. Isaiah thirty eighteen in the NIV reveals that uh, the Lord is a God of justice. Out of God's own mouth, a little further down in Isaiah sixty one eight, it reads, "For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing." It, 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 uh, through through the prophet Amos, God's a even a little bit more bolder here in his passion for justice. In Amos 5.24, God declares, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. And, and we could go on and on because the Bible makes it absolutely clear that the character of God reveals his deep desire for justice and righteousness. This is the reason for the reading of the Mosaic Law that's found you know, in our current study here in Exodus 22 and, and 23, as well as the entire book of Leviticus. Um, one of my all, all-time favorite scriptures is found in Jeremiah 22, 16, where it reads, He pleads the cause of the, of the afflicted and needy, then it was well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? It's, you know, it's, it's implied that those who also long for justice— have a kindred spirit with the character of God. Again, we see that we're made in his image, so the desire to do wrong, to wrong the right doesn't really come from us, but it comes from the one who made us. So where does this begin? Well, it 
and began in the garden. And you know the story. While Adam and Eve were in the garden, the serpent came to Eve, tricking her into eating the fruit of knowledge. She ate it and then gave it to her husband, and he ate it too, and everything changed in that moment. And it's an interesting moment too because um, even though God holds Adam and Eve accountable for their actions and allows sin to come into the world, he also punishes the serpent or, or the devil for the injustice done through deception. <clears throat> Genesis 3.15 records the very first prophetic word and judgment towards this injustice done to the human race. God says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So from this point forward, we're going to see in the character of God a strong desire for justice. And, and he imposes or maybe rather imprints that onto us. In Exodus 2, 22 and 23, there is a Exodus 22 and 23. There's a great deal of time spent uh, handling, uh, dealing with injustices that might occur amongst the people. And, and I want you to turn there, but we're not going to read it all. There, there's just too much there. However, I, I am going to run through some and, and give you kind of a basic rundown of some of the hot topics that are found in these two chapters on social injustice. We start in Exodus chapter 21. God deals with our conduct concerning how we treat people who work for us, compensation and, and, and equality. In Exodus 22, God deals with property rights, with stealing and compensation, with murder and consequences, with adultery and marriage, with witchcraft and idolatry and lending and banking and immigration reform and taking care of orphans. God even deals with uh, with con men who's, you know, and those who try to swindle the less fortunate or the ignorant. He deals with leadership and even tithing. And if you read into Exodus 23, God hammers on gossiping and rumor spreading. All right. Check this one out in Exodus 23, too, at that first line. You must not follow the crowd in wrongdoing. How many times have we heard the excuse while well, everyone else was doing it? So God makes it. God makes it really clear. He wants you to think for yourself. He goes on to talk about how to treat your enemies, how to be fair to all people groups, to not just use your position and your demographic to take advantage of others in a lower demographic. He deals with bribes and observing the Sabbath and even helping the poor. Yeah, I, I told you there's a, there's a lot there. <laughs> God is thinking about all these things and more, right? The, there is no social justice warrior greater than God. He's been advocating for justice since the world began. He's been pro-life since the world began. He's been pro-marriage since the beginning of time. You get the idea. His pursuit on these things has imprinted upon us as his creation. And the Bible makes this clear too. Psalms 106 tells us that those who commit to justice, well, they're blessed. Proverbs 21 and 28 remind us that the only, only the truly saved can understand what's right and that they will delight when justice is done. Maybe the one that might hit you more close to home is in Hosea 12, where the prophet reminds those who are specifically returning that you must maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. Man, are we, are we waiting on him? Are you waiting on him? Uh, Psalm 27 reveals that justice will be done when judgment comes. And, and, and that would be 
frightening if, it, if not for the cross of Christ, right? Romans 5, 12 through 19, when, when Adam's sin, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not any yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are as guilty of many sins. For the sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's, sins, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So what a revelation of... Justice. Instead of receiving justice for all the terrible wrongs we've committed through the grace of God, we're treated as if we've never sinned. We've never done anything wrong. And this is the wonderful news, right? This is the gospel because in Christ, we also see the cost of sin, right? And a bit of what judgment looks like. The cross is God's altar and Christ is his sacrifice to atone for the sins of many. It was painful and humiliating and, and shameful and frightening. And, and to the believer, it's, it's, it's a reminder of the cost of freedom and the sacrifice of Jesus. An and innocent man paying for you know, all the sins of men to, to the unbeliever, it should be a sign of fear and for judgment is still coming. Why? Because God's, God will have justice. You know, if you, if you want to say like the message Bible says that it says that he will have oceans, oceans of it. Owen uh, Strahan, a writer for the gospel coalition, he put it this way, sin will not cease because of a vague trajectory in the cosmos toward goodness. The end of sin will come because Jesus will split the sky and make the whole earth his threshing floor. Now he's quoting Revelations twenty eleven through 21. This truth should be inspire, inspire surging hope in the church. It should also drive us to evangelize all we can, remembering that the blunt force of the Christian doctrine of judgment has often awakened the slumbering. We do not want any sinner to taste the wrath of God. Guys, I, I love this view. I love the idea that by seeing social injustices, we're also seeing the depravity of man or the sinfulness of man. And in seeing such atrocities and by seeing such injustices, we are reminded that judgment is approaching and that Jesus is our only hope for real change. We will never win the fight of morality through human intellect, though many will try, but only by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We will not win people to righteous living unless we are able to live righteous before them. God commanded us to not follow after the crowd. And in other places, he, he has called us to be set apart. And if we look like the world and we behave like the world, why would the world ever change? They've got no reason to. We must first answer the injustices done around us before we can take on a bigger problem. There's always going to be injustices as long as men and women refuse to believe in Jesus and guys, we, we can't concern ourselves with the impossible task of changing everyone in the world. We must first concern ourselves with just changing those whom God has placed around us. 
And as we are faithful with that, then God will give us more. I love this quote uh, also from the Gospel Coalition. Uh, Christianity is a forward-looking faith. The celestial city, as John Bunyan reminded us, is not far off. There is a momentum, a driving urgency in the kingdom. We cannot forget what God is doing, where history is going, and how short time is. You could say it this way. We should be so eternity-minded that we are of some earthly good. Now, you know, this is a short message today, but in a world full of injustice, let me give you a last word of wisdom. Let us be slow to speak and slow to anger. There are so many situations being brought to light before all the facts are in. These days, the, you know, the world and maybe it's just the media seem to be on reaction mode. The facts aren't as important as being the first one to talk about it or make it known or fight for it. Let's just make sure we're fighting for the right things, you know. We can be right and still be wrong. Do you know what I mean? We can be right in in what we're saying and even in our thought process, but how we tell others, how we convey that message is trying to in trying to win them to Christ or Christian principles is important. You can be right and still be a jerk. Being married will teach you that fast. How we discuss issues is important. These days it's you know, it's easy to be a keyboard warrior, but the Internet and, you know, Facebook and all these other social media platforms, they're never going to replace a good old-fashioned face-to-face relationship. It's amazing what a civil conversation can do for changing a person's mindset. Also, there's really no better place to bring up the gospel than with social injustices. Because in seeing social injustice, what we're really seeing is sin. And if sin exists and the human race is lost in it, then what hope is there? And that is the doorway to the gospel, the doorway to grace, and the doorway to the abundant life. In church, it's, it's, it's time we lead others in that direction. Amen? Amen. Heck, yeah. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this wonderful morning god as we push through your word god we pray that you would just continue to uh, uh, grow us and mature us god as uh, uh, children uh, sons and daughters lord that we be matured for the sake of your kingdom that we may grow it god in jesus name and the whole church says amen amen i love you guys